While touring the garden on the roof of the science building, I'm told how each flower and fruit is unique, and so the songs played for each. Their schedules of planting and pruning, and their water and level of shade are customized too. Each looks pretty in bloom. What a wonderful poem. Thank Aaron. you. I always appreciate your poems. I feel like I'll say it every episode, but they're a highlight of my week. Well, I intend to make them a kind of like little, little artistic thesis statement for the episode. So today, um, as with last week, I'm once again comparing young humans to plants. And today's episode is kind of like a, it kind of has this thread through a lot of our questions, which are standardization versus individualization. Mm -hmm. And I envision that as gardens because it's like, how closely should we prune them? Mm. How uniquely should we treat each one? It's really wonderful. Thank you. So welcome back to Solacine. One and all who are listening, perhaps on YouTube and able to see us or on their podcasting platform. This is a podcast where we design... <laughs> where we design the ideal future that is beautiful, sustainable, and tactile. And this is our series on education for the fourth week in a row. And as Aaron said, we're talking a little bit about standardization and should all schools be exactly the same or not? Speaking of standardization, on the Solacene podcast, we do things a little bit differently. Instead of reading out an ad from what? Shopify? Yeah. yeah. Or something like that. We do an organism of the week. So each episode is brought to you by a specific organism. We try to give it some kind of thematic tie-in, but sometimes we just go with something that looks cool. Mm -hmm. And today, I'm showing it to the What's people that? who can see. We're talking about the Japanese holly, or ah. the Latin name is the Elex cronata. It's kind of a hedge plant. Oh, okay. As you can see, those green dots are like the, I was just trying to show that it's the, it's the small evergreen leaves. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. The dark ones. Mm -hmm. So these are very popular in Japanese gardens, which is why I chose them. Mm. Because as I said, I'm comparing humans to plants. Mm -hmm. And I had a quote which kind of um, summarized my intent, which is, Japanese gardens need to look natural, but very well kept. The shapes of trees, beds, etc., all need to be soft, natural looking. They must look as if they were sculpted by wind and water. But at the same time, they need to represent a stylized version of what you find in nature. What do you think about that? It's really lovely. It does definitely remind me of children and schools. We need to be intentional, but it still needs to be natural. We can't just shove them into molds. You can't just <laughs> shove these hedges into molds. They still need to look slightly natural, shaped by the winds and the yeah. waves. But. I was thinking about Japanese gardens in comparison to maybe like a really, a really stereotypical prim and proper like English rose garden or something like that where mm -hmm. everything is so meticulous and to make it look as kind of geometric and man-made or man-designed as possible whereas what i find interesting with the, the zen gardens is that they have a similar level of care put into them into their placement and their pruning and they're taking care of each plant but the end result is different because the intent is different they don't try and make mm -hmm. it look as geometric and man-made as possible they try and make it resemble this kind of like wonderland it's like a miniature version of the landscape. Mm -hmm. And I chose this hedge plant because something that really interested me when I was learning about Japanese gardens, not just for this episode, but over the last few years, is that they sculpt things to try and, like they would sculpt a hedge to try and look like a hill. And that's, that's why really they have the, you know, there's always like a small river flowing through because mm -hmm. that looks like, it's like a little diorama of a whole wide landscape, Yeah, which I thought was, is always a, re a really cute idea. So this plant 
to be honest, it looks a lot just like a normal hedge. And mm -hmm. indeed, they're very popular for topiaries. They can be shaped into cones, bowls, spirals, etc. But these ones in particular are native to East Asia. They can grow to 10 feet tall. They have white flowers in the early summer and blackberries after that. But I like the idea of them just being green. I like green plants. Mm -hmm. You know, plants aren't just valuable because of their blooms. I just like the stems. So there we go. That's my little intro to the episode. Wonderful. Thank you. And I suppose it lines up well. Today's the Oscars, which is exciting. It's true. And we're kicking the episode off by talking about our favorite schools in media. And I don't know that there were any schools in any of the Oscar-nominated movies this year that really inspired none me. Of, none of the best picture ones, no, I would not say. No. But over the years, I mean, every cartoon you grow up watching, the kids go to school. And a lot of movies we love, there's schools. And you in particular always talk about School of Rock. So that was my guess of one that you'd <laughs> include, but maybe you didn't include I actually that. didn't choose School of Rock. Really? Well, School of Rock, I mean, kind of the point of the movie is, like we're choosing idyllic schools mm. in media so that we can hopefully try and extract some real life, you know, lessons from them. It's true. But School of Rock, the only lesson is that Jack Black is awesome. I know that's kind of, that's a real Jack Black word or like <laughs> adjective. I don't think I've ever used awesome before, certainly not on the podcast, but he just brings it out of me. But the rest of the school is not exactly portrayed as, it's true. as especially impressive. Um, you, I know you chose more examples than me on this, so I'm going to let you go first. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I, the thing is, I feel like ours are going to overlap so much, so I don't want to really hope. I really hope that we chose different ones. Okay, I'll go first. Um, yeah. I'll start with my silliest, which is from Zoe 101. That was what I was going to start with. That's why I didn't say it because I was like, I know you were going to... Why did you know? I, why would you know I had that? Because PCA is like... But I don't talk about... It's not like we often no, talk about Zoe 101. But we have. Have we? Somewhere along the lines, we talked about how perfect the campus is. It's yeah, like these yeah. kids were growing up like in a mall, basically. It was so fun. Yeah. And okay. So I've tried to like pick examples that each embody different values. Mm -hmm. So Zoe 101, PCA, Pacific Coast Academy located in uh, Malibu, California, is representative to me of freedom. It's a boarding school mm -hmm. for ages six, grade six, six to 12. So it's like a middle school and high school all on one big campus. I learned that it was actually filmed at a real school in California mm -hmm. called Pepperdine University. And this is a, a show that I used to not watch very much or very often because it's a very girly show, I guess. So I would always kind of watch it when my sister was watching it, my older sister, mm -hmm. and I'd be like peeking behind her shoulder, be like, oh, not Zoe 101 again. <laughs> but really, I'd be, yeah, I really like that. Zooming in. The, um, the bright clothes everyone was wearing, the phones. Yeah. I know that sounds really unsolicit universe, but <laughs> they did have cool phones. But yeah, this, um, it offered the typical high school classes, but I would say it had a big emphasis on extracurriculars. It was mm -hmm. pretty much a college, but for kids, like a college campus. They had every sport under the sun. They had a student-run media organization which broadcast news about the school. What else did you find appealing about Zoe 101? I loved the boarding school aspect of it, which is a trend amongst all of my schools that I picked. A lot of them are boarding schools, which I don't think boarding schools are necessary in the Solocene. But they are a cool, unique... They build school spirit. They build Auto friendship, autonomy, autonomy which yep. is almost always when we talk about universities, it says... Well, why can't universities just be online? And one of the biggest arguments is going off to university builds autonomy. But if kids have that opportunity in high school, then university can be a bit more flexible, I think. 
Well, I think one of the reasons this was so idyllic and escape for kids broadcast, you know, made for the demographic of children is because everyone's kind of under the thumb of their parents and teachers all the time. So it's like, yeah, that would be really nice under the California sun just to mm -hmm. just to hang out with my friends. I don't even think it showed them in class very much, to be honest. No, it didn't. I don't remember much of that. Yeah, my first one that I'll talk about is Seaview High School from Hannah Montana. Okay. It was a pretty generic Disney Channel high school, mm -hmm. but it was a little bit similar to Seaview in that it was just bright. Like, I remember their lunch rooms were often just outside underneath umbrella-like coverings. Yes. And they're, they're not called meal halls, they're cafeterias, mm -hmm. were always so exciting looking. They always had the best had chocolate milk. They had their nice slice of pizza. They Their food always looked really good. And they always had school spirit in the Disney shows, which I really loved. And even, yeah, just the hallways were so brightly colored in the classrooms, which I think is a good thing. Um, I don't know how, <laughs> like, it's it's for TV. It's just to attract young eyes, I think, to the yeah. television. But, okay. <laughs> I Hopefully this isn't just Disney Channel um, schools. No, it, Gets off that after this one for me. Okay, good. Because my next one is from Pokemon. Ooh. It's a Pokemon Sun and Moon anime show. And it's on an island, tropical island called Alola. And what I like about this Pokemon school, it's about learning how to become a Pokemon trainer, is that the classroom only has six students in it. Hmm. So they all get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with Professor Kakui, hmm. who's like this Pokemon expert. And they also do some classroom learning, but mostly kind of in-class demonstrations, so they'll bring in Pokemon and talk about that, and a lot of field trips, so they'll explore the island, see the natural habitats of the Pokemon, and that just reminded me, of course, most schools, most schools aren't Pokemon schools, but all schools can incorporate outdoor learning mm -hmm. because um, a lot of breakthroughs, discoveries, and observations come from just being outside and seeing how the world works, especially if you have a the guidance of a teacher saying, okay, really watch out for gravity, you mm -hmm. know, and then the apple falls and people are like, oh, that's gravity. Yeah. Observations like that, right? Yeah, that inspires a question for next week to me. Okay. Two questions, perhaps. One surrounding what would the role of mentorship be in the solo scene? So one-on-one -on -one apprenticeship and mentorship. Another one, what tactile techniques teaching could be implemented to better classrooms like field trips or demonstrations and things like that. Yeah, good. Yeah. And speaking of field trips, my next classroom is the classroom from the Magic School Bus. Okay. I really thought you were going to say Finding Nemo then. No. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good one though. In the Magic School Bus, they're always off on field trips. Yes. They do have a home base in Miss Frizzle's classroom. Okay. And I just remember it had a lot of dioramas and models. There was a skeleton. There was a model volcano. There was a lot of hands-on things in the classroom. You didn't see a bunch of stacks of papers or rows of computers. It was, projects. hey, we're going to, yeah, projects. Um, did you ever make a volcano? I don't think so. I did, actually. My parents used to buy me those kits. I think they were like mm. Smithsonian brands. And it was yes. like, make a volcano or... One of them was like, dig up a little fossil in this square of sand. Yeah. It was fun. You were a nerd. Yeah, but I also wanted to, maybe this can be another question for next week. I don't know, projects, as in um, in Canada or in Nova Scotia, we always did a heritage fair mm. project, which was what, once every two years or something? Yeah, we didn't do it. Oh, well, 
my school did. And it was kind of like mm -hmm. a, I thought it was province-wide, but maybe it excluded some schools. Yeah. When you would kind of be free to make whatever you want. Most people just use poster board. Sometimes mm -hmm. they make a video or a PowerPoint or something. And you would kind of have to learn about a topic of your choosing with a, with a category as broad as somehow relating to Canada mm -hmm. and present it however you wanted as well. And that was, that was very freeing. I yeah. always enjoyed those. Yeah, those were cool. I never did them. For some reason, my year was skipped. My, both of my sisters did. I did the science fair, which was my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Mm. I did a science fair project like every year for many years. What was your favorite? My favorite was my first one. I can't take much credit for it. I was in grade four, so I don't know why it even, why teachers even thought I did it, because it was very clearly done <laughs> by my father. But we built, I came up with the idea to test the strength of eggs, how much weight can an egg hold. Okay. So we built this thing called the Egg Eliminator 2000. It was the only one ever built. Right. But the Egg Eliminator 2000, and it was this contraption where you'd put an egg underneath this metal plate, and then we'd stack weights on top, hmm. or you could stand on top, and we were testing it. We did the whole scientific method to see, on average, how much weight could an egg hold. Yeah. Yeah, that was a breakthrough in discovery. It for, was, um, and how much could it hold? It could hold me, and I was, what, 40 pounds? <laughs> it's quite so, obvious that you were a Phineas and Fab kid. Yeah. I have to ask, was there anything in university that you were as proud of? No. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Heritage Fair project I did was about the endangered animals of Nova Scotia. Uh, I was that preachy kid. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Okay. My next one is something that we mentioned in passing last week, or maybe the week before, the school from, from Up on Poppy Hill, the Ghibli movie, mm -hmm. which is called Isogo High School, and it was originally a manga. Yes. Particularly, it's the clubhouse, which is called the Courtier Latin, and this is a big student-run building for all the extracurriculars. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie when they clean it up, and mm -hmm. also the first time they go in there, and it's like the boys have just kind of let it decay and it's filthy. But what I like about it is that it's full of real, genuine enthusiasm for learning and just engagement in general. And there's mm -hmm. all these there's all these separate sub-communities, but above that, they're all kind of united in the, mm -hmm. in the spirit of education. So there is a school paper, which is what our protagonists join. There is a chess club, philosophy club, which is pretty much anything you can imagine. And I think there's minimal teacher oversight as well, which mm -hmm. is, again, like a theme through all these... Yeah, freeing, because I feel like on average in the classroom, yeah, we're going to cover all these subjects. There's going to be the kids who aren't really into it. They'd rather work on chess or they'd rather work on sports. But there's also the kids who are in class and they're like, this isn't enough. They want to go to the philosophy club. They want to go to the science club. So it has all room for everyone. Yeah, well, let's say that you are taking, I mean, by kind of, kind of by definition, the curriculum in public education is very surface level but on a lot of different topics mm -hmm. so let's say you're learning about Rene Descartes in your history lesson you're like that's really interesting I wish we could have explored that more now if you have a clubhouse or something like that you have an outlet to then mm -hmm. um, take that enthusiasm that you got from the classroom and one thing that's really interesting about the story is that in the movie and I suppose in the manga as well kind of the, the the conflict of the film is that the adults the school teachers and some developers want to knock down the building because mm -hmm. it's too old it's a lot more storied and historical than the rest of the campus so they're like we need to modernize mm -hmm. and it's the it's the kids who want to preserve the old building which is kind of a flip on mm -hmm. the, the typical stereotype yeah but why would that be 
why the flip on the stereotype? Yeah, why would the kids want to preserve this old building? Because kids like authenticity, I think. Mm, they yeah. like... Intuitively. Yeah, they like having ownership over something. And when schools are all sleek and modern and have no character, <laughs> kids aren't inspired to go there. They're not going to have school spirit. They're not going to be like, yes, I want to stay here for three hours after school to go to a club. They're going to be like... This is kind of lifeless. Well, there's a feeling of the heritage of the place. Of yeah. this is a clubhouse since who knows when, mm -hmm. and so there's all this all this great conversations that have taken place in this room. Yeah, for sure. And it's not even oh, my parents went here, so that's why it's cool because mm, yeah. so many people move around. It's but you still appreciate the fact that someone's grandparents were in here mm -hmm. doing the same things or something different. Yeah, kids just like that stuff. We pretend like they don't, but they like when there's things exactly <laughs> we, they don't like when there are things removed yes for <laughs> sure my next one i feel like i couldn't go without mentioning it on the education podcast do you want to guess what it is Anne of green gables no isn't there a school in that there is yeah Anne becomes a teacher oh hogwarts hogwarts and what's the other one do you think you can guess it mm, it's my favorite high school High School Musical? Yeah. <laughs> That's, what does that have to do with education? It has to do with education because of the school spirit. And that's the only reason I wanted to okay. mention him. Uh, go Wildcats. <laughs> because the school spirit in that movie is out of this world. I mean, come on. They all have the shirts. They all just show up on the first day of school, obviously all wearing white and red. Mm. That would never happen. Well, we'll see you later on in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved the school spirit and the unity in the clubs and the support the teachers gave to the students in that school. Then on to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. What's, What's there, there to, to say, say about, about it? it? Yeah. It's my favorite place in the world, even though it doesn't exist. Believes in your, it exists in your heart, and that's all yeah. that matters. But no, okay, let's try and analyze Hogwarts, because that's kind of the obvious answer for this question mm -hmm. of, of the best representations of education in media. Um, of course, it's more idyllic because they're not learning math, English, and science. So I, let's get that out the way. They're like they're mm -hmm. learning things to us that are more alien and more intriguing and mm -hmm. you know more powerful and less boring. Magic. Magic. More magical, some mm -hmm. might say. But it's not just the classes, is it? It's the ghosts. <laughs> it's the the common rooms in the four houses. We were discussing the ethics the morality of dividing kids <laughs> well, <it's> just, <laughs> into four I'm just houses. questioning the practicality of it practicality. And, and the sustainability of it yeah because i think the slytherins my my house mm -hmm. would end up tearing ourselves apart yes but you know it's just a story yeah so we're not even saying the division of the children is idyllic but imagine i really love the idea of boarding schools even if kids perhaps went to boarding schools like one year mm. throughout their education or something but it's the having the meals together, you really get to know the professors and all the professors have a lot of say, it seems, over what they're instructing. Yep. There's not a set, like, we have to achieve this in order to achieve the owls. In yeah, I mean, year. well, Hogwarts is maybe a good case study for standardization, which yeah. is one of our questions for later in the episode, because you see how it can, um, the lack of standardization can lead to really, really good classes, like mm -hmm. Professor Lupin teaches in the third book or movie mm -hmm. and McGonagall teaches all throughout but mm -hmm. you also see how the lack of it can lead to really awful mm -hmm. classes because there's no standards yeah. so Lockhart can just do whatever yes and also Umbridge comes in the fifth book mm -hmm. which is you're currently all the way through so or halfway through so I don't want to spoil for you but I think she really represents the dangers of over standardizing things mm -hmm. and 
the um, the bureaucracy that can really stifle what makes a place itself. Yeah, but the overarching theme to me in Harry Potter is with good leadership, you can strike that balance because they do in their fifth year write the owls and in their seventh year, is it, they write their newts? Yes. Which is a bunch of tests, like standardized tests in order to get achievements, which you can then use to get jobs mm -hmm. in the wizarding world. Yep. From what I understand. We're really alienating anyone who doesn't, <laughs> either doesn't know or doesn't care about Harry Potter. Yes, but it's a, it does seem increasingly like an excellent example because it's about the leadership. It's about Dumbledore. <laughs> but it's such a great school. Even besides the classes and such, to me, the most important thing is the eating the meals together, the freedom of exploring the grounds and exploring the history of the school yep. on their own time. You always have those scenes of them going to the library. Yes. They also always have an insane amount of homework, it seems. It's true. All they ever do. It's true. Which isn't ideal. Well, it's not all they ever do is the thing. Yeah. I mean, they have a lot of time, but they, mm -hmm. they do have a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, and it feels like they're all learning. They are. Because you have to learn if you're going to be a wizard. There's a lot of room for experimentation, mm -hmm. adventure. They break some rules. But even if they weren't breaking a lot of rules, they can just do whatever spells they want for the most part, at whatever time, and mm -hmm. practice like that. My takeaway from most of these examples that we're choosing is that, I mean, we've made the comparison about schools to prisons and the fact that kids think that school mm -hmm. feels like a prison. And Harry in Hogwarts and most of the other kids never felt that way mm -hmm. because, well, why not? Because they were free. Yeah. That's, I know it's simple. And I feel like freedom, but also like the campus feeling of, I'm free, but I'm also safe. Exactly. That's, that's the balance for kids. Yeah. I think I had this line, which was something like, if you treat school like a prison, the kids are going to kind of act like prisoners. Because mm -hmm. one of the things with Hogwarts is like, well, if that was in real life and kids are getting, you know, these feasts three times a day and pretty much they can roam the halls, whatever they want. And there's all these secrets and they have the ability to do magic practically unsupervised for the most part, mm -hmm. it would fall apart. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't because they, they kind of have these standards that the kids themselves are trying to uphold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's a degree of freedom that kids have, like mm. at Hogwarts or at PCA, and it's like they want to maintain those freedoms. Yeah, exactly. And they know if they start going around hexing people or going around and vandalizing the academy, they're not going to be allowed the freedoms and it's going to degrade. Yeah. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt themselves because they'll have punishments in the forms mm -hmm. of detention. They might have to polish some trophies or perhaps um, something a little bit more abusive. And also it will hurt their whole house because they'll get yeah. points taken away and then everyone's going to kind of shame them like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't want to be the reason Hufflepuff loses, loses points. I had a list of trends across all of mine and it was what we were just talking about, but also... I said they all have a lot of character. We're not going to pick a random school from like Boy Meets World, which is just classroom. Okay. <laughs> you want to pick, you want your schools to have character and be unique. And, oh, I'm so excited to move up to middle school because they have pool or they have. Yeah, I mean, of course. Cool room where you can box. I don't know. Yeah, well, the environment affects the way that people behave in it. Like you were talking about how classrooms all look the same and they're rather uninspiring with the same ceilings with the dots on them and the same chairs and the same desks. Not just from school to school, but also from classroom to classroom within the school. Like pretty mm -hmm. much all the classrooms look the same. And 
I don't think the teachers are really allowed to customize them too much, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but if it is more inspiring, more exciting, more different, if mm -hmm. it has some kind of historical bent or just more intriguing, more pleasing design, I think kids would be, they'd kind of feel that they, not pressure, but they would feel more inclined to try and live up towards, live up to mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And my final similarity amongst them all was that they all had a lot of activities, like extracurriculars, trips, and clubs. We need those. Yeah, Kids to be able to express themselves and experiment because they shouldn't have to try and experiment within the confines of a single project in the whole year, the mm. Heritage Fair. Yeah. There should be opportunities inside and outside the classroom. Indeed. I had a couple more, just kind of small ones. Yeah. One is from a painting called The School of Athens, mm -hmm. which I'm sure you're familiar with, painted by Raphael between 1509 to 1511. It's a fresco in the Vatican. And for those who maybe are unfamiliar with it, I won't be able to describe it well, so I just recommend that you Google it. But it is this really gorgeous classical building, looks like something out of ancient Greece. And it pretty much has all the great um, Greek thinkers, especially philosophers. So there's like Aristotle, Plato, Pythagoras, Archimedes, all those guys. And something that's really interesting is that some of them are kind of stylized as contemporaries of Raphael. So mm -hmm. he had like, in the, the central figure is Da Vinci, Leonardo da Vinci as Plato. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. And this painting kind of, it's not a real school, so it's kind of a stretch for the question, but it just makes me, it imposes on you, I think, the, the, the legacy of information. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a relay. That's how I like envisioning studying and learning and knowledge anyway. It's like all these people have done all these great things and they're like, progressing the species each one and then you they hand the baton to you and it's mm -hmm. up to you to what you want to do with it yeah and it also goes with like the really nice environment because you didn't have them in just like a really standardized room mm -hmm. and the next one that i wanted to mention is from whiplash yeah not very idyllic no. um but there's an element of it which i wanted to talk about and it's also in the batman movies the league of shadows which is like the ninja training organization mm -hmm. whiplash is a movie about a really high level and demanding jazz teacher mm -hmm. and he's teaching our protagonist to play the drums but he's kind of well he's he's effectively breaking him as a person as he does it yep. as he moves him towards perfection and it's very abusive and i'm not saying that like standards should be imposed in such a way that mm -hmm. kids get ground down that's the opposite of it actually but just that that idea of excellence i think as something to pursue and to to kind of move to work towards yeah passion Passion, yeah. You're watching Coda, and it's the exact same thing in the protagonist is being trained by a music teacher. Yeah. So slightly less abusive than Whiplash. What about less? But he's still, like, slightly breaking her. Yeah. But in a, in a compassionate well, way. Well, yeah, I like this. Um, maybe this can be for next week about what is learning. Because mm -hmm. we talked about what is knowledge today, but it's like, what does it mean to learn something? Mm -hmm. I like this definition that every time you learn something, you're, you're kind of it's painful and it's difficult because it's like you're killing a part of yourself that knew the wrong thing or didn't know mm -hmm. it at all and you're putting something else in there. Like, it's never easy to learn something. Yeah. It's always difficult. Yeah, for sure. But we expect it to be easy. So when it starts being difficult, which it will always be, we want to stop. So speaking of the owls and such, standardization in okay. schools yes. is something that I hadn't thought much about because in Canada, it's much less prominent a part of our schooling experience is the standard standardized tests and such but i know in the states they happen like almost every year so i didn't think much about it but now that i've begun thinking about it i think standards are crucial to 
creating an equitable and prosperous society because if there's no standards, you're going to get a school in a community which is not inclusive. They're only preaching this one mindset or this one worldview. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of inequalities. Yeah. So you need standards in that way. But I think the standards need to be very broad almost, but at the same time really specific. I don't know how to describe it besides I made kind of example of some standards that I think we could have in the solo scene. Okay, well, our question was, mm-hmm. what's the be- what are the ways that we can achieve this balance of standards mm-hmm. slash standardization perhaps yeah. and specificity or personalization to the mm-hmm. individual students? And my kind of uh, mantra that I got from it was standards without standardization. You know, how, yeah. can we, how can we ensure that things are good, proper, as equal as we can without, you know, being like Big Brother in 1984. Yeah, and having these metrics that you need to achieve. Exactly. Because if there's these metrics that a school needs to achieve to remain open, they're going to hyper-focus on those. Okay, the kids all need to have a grade 8 level of reading by grade 8. Oh, no, they don't? That means we're going to only teach English for a year. And that's it needs to be balanced. And for me, I figured how we could answer that question one way was you'll see as the kids graduate if they're adequately prepared for the real world but obviously you don't want it to get to that point there's a whole year of kids who have missed out so I think it could be done through teachers being taught to be observers and facilitators of students learning so not just teaching them but mm, it seems that everyone's a little bit struggling with this topic or this part of human existence we're gonna spend a little bit of extra time on that and so on okay So the standard could be every four years or something, the municipality or the federal government, depending on the size of the country, comes together and says, this is the type of citizen we want. Then they break it down into actionable every grade or every age group. What does that look like for 12-year-olds as they're progressing towards this ideal person that we want in our society? Okay. And so it could be, personality characteristics it could be physical skills it could be standards of reading or standards of analytic ability and find ways to assess them on that that isn't just a test it could just be the teacher observing them saying oh hey they resolved that conflict really well that's good they're making progress in that way yeah you're alluding to that i think you're alluding to that dreaded educational adjective holistic more holistic approach of assessing students' Mm -hmm. development, right? No, I agree with that. And I was looking at the best country, Mm -hmm. according to the internet, because I've never been there, uh, for education, Finland. Mm -hmm. And I found this quote, which goes along with what you were saying. There's no word for accountability in Finnish. I don't know how true it is. There's no word for accountability in Finnish. Accountability is something that is left when responsibility has been subtracted. It's a quote by someone called Passy Solberg, and they were talking about teachers and the fact that a lot of people in North America or in the West, and I know also in a lot of Asian countries, standardization is pretty crazy, mm-hmm. use, um, kind of defend the, the over-testing and the standardization and all the metrics, as you say, um, by saying, well, it makes sure that teachers mm-hmm. keep their levels up. Yeah. But in Finland, it's like they just have a higher barrier of entry for teachers. So mm-hmm. it says that a lot of them have master's degrees or more mm-hmm. of them than in the West. And 
it's just up to the principals to kind of determine how they're getting along rather than as you say just teaching to an exam mm -hmm. so that the teacher stays in a job yeah which is not like a good system no for sure that's that gets back to the Dumbledore example of good leadership at each school level yeah and then perhaps someone overseeing them in a school board or in a municipality who they can report to and say hey we're struggling with this area of developing our students any suggestions they could come together and find out a way that they could develop that area and I think yeah it can't just be academic or else you're going to because you can cheat that system so easily hmm. it needs to not be cheatable yeah what I was also thinking about as well with specificity versus standardization is that it's not just the students who who are kind of victims when everything's just boring jumping through hoops for the multiple choice exam the teachers really struggle as well because that's mm -hmm. miserable for them and they're not engaged and so the, the students aren't going to get the best out of them so I had a few just random ideas to try and make sure that everyone is a little bit more engaged. So one is that teachers design the curriculum and submit it to some kind of board, municipal mm. or federal, for approval. Yeah. Obviously, you can't just have rogue teachers teaching whatever they want or else you get a Lockhart from Harry mm -hmm. Potter. But I think teachers would really like that chance for, for the most part. Yeah. Um, another one I had is that universities could provide their own entrance exam rather than high schools, rather than relying on high school grades. Yeah, when I learned about the MCATs and the LSATs and all of those exams that you need to do to get into medicine or law, I just assumed you were forced to take that in your last year of your undergrad or something. Hmm. But it's like, no, you can study for it. You study for it on your own. Yeah. Your undergrad helps you, but you have to do the prep on your own. And I was like, that'd be really good. Are really interesting yeah it's interesting it's different yeah. that's, that's it was one idea i had but um reading about it it can be pretty pretty damaging because that's mm -hmm. how a lot of countries universities do it and what it means is that it results in kids just over preparing for that one test mm -hmm. so you know it has its pros and cons teachers not judged based on test scores that one should be pretty obvious mm -hmm. and then i just had the idea no testing yeah. students graded on everything instead mm -hmm. meaning that like you said they're just graded day by day and graded yeah. assess whatever you want to call it yeah like, something is noted down in a book mm -hmm. because that means that everything is like lower stakes yeah and I realized that this kind of flies in the face of what I said last week about my idea for a school that's all tests mm -hmm. but then when I thought about it I was like it's pretty much the same thing all tests no tests everything <laughs> it's nothing it's you know yeah if I nothing's tested everything is mm. oh Aaron no but I do mean I still just mean everything's being assessed. No, I understand. That's a really, that sounds right almost. <laughs> it's like when I switched to IB in grade 11 and 12, the grading was much different than what I was used to from all the rest of my education, which would be you do 10 projects throughout the year and 10 tests and whatever. But in IB, every single thing that you did, sometimes for two years, was completely meaningless with the exception of a 70% final exam mm. and a 30% assessment, which would be a project or a speech or something like that. And that was such a shift for me. And it led to me in a couple of my classes saying, I'm going to just not do all of these tiny assessments throughout because they don't count towards my final grade. And I'm going to bust my butt and like get super high marks in those final grades. And that's what I did and achieved it. But it didn't. It's probably not the best format. Didn't facilitate learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, Hogwarts as well, like Hogwarts style. They're always getting points. Mm -hmm.
the thing everyone hates tests so they're like well why would i want to have why would, why would i want to be tested on everything but i think the reason people don't like tests because there's so much pressure on it mm-hmm. have this big test at the end of the semester end of the year end of the unit mm-hmm. if it was literally every day it would get you a lot better at being watched something like that being graded yeah. you know, it would keep your performance high essentially yeah uh, there would be no cramming For and sure. another example i had which i actually really like is instead of let's say a grade oh i got an a plus in this class or I got this on the exam in this class. Students make a portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I've always liked that idea. Obviously, it's usually more creative fields that students come out of the class with a porf- portfolio. But it gives them agency. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it should be guided by teachers because they can tell the, te- tell the students, you have to show me or you have to show the job market what you know. So they would mm-hmm. be a, a really helping hand with that. But I think it encourages pride in the work because, as you were saying, with your egg egg tester yeah that's something that you made Mm -hmm. and that would go in your portfolio your physics portfolio let's say yeah now that you mentioned that the one school project I was proud of in university was a portfolio that I made for this class which you wouldn't traditionally do a portfolio for but it was a collection of reflections throughout the semester you had to pick an article and relate it to the class you had to do photos you could you had a lot of artistic freedom on it and I loved it I made it like way longer than it had to be and I was proud of it and the teacher was like wow you put effort into this you really saw it for what it is you didn't just say oh this is a collection of random stuff you saw it as an opportunity which I feel like a lot of students would do yeah it's also more closer to real life with the resume mm-hmm. I just think it's it's more representative of the individual student and their skills in something and certainly their passion for something like let's say in high school English, let's say I wanted to get into like an English program mm-hmm. that required some proof that I was good at English. If I just showed them my test scores, that just means I'm good at taking the test. But if mm-hmm. I had some kind of portfolio, these are all the things I've written for class. These are my favorite essays and all this. Mm-hmm. And that's, it shows my unique voice a lot more. Yeah. And it makes you want to do better on them because someone will and, actually read them. Yeah. I had one thing, a practical way of balancing standardization and autonomy And that was by having a lot more flexibility within students' progress through the grades or through the years. Like if a student is just excelling in a certain class or a certain area of school, they should have the opportunity to skip a grade or move up if they've mastered it. And then students who are struggling should have the opportunity for extra help, which I know that's every school teacher's dream is extra help in the classroom and extra tutoring outside of the classroom. I think that should be a lot more emphasized here. Options for summer school, option for evening school, what have you, so that no one's left behind, but also people can progress and they're not held back at the expense of other students because everyone excels and struggles in different areas. Yeah, I mean, it's something... I, I don't even like that the rigid nature of it. You're either, as you said, skipping a grade or you're mm. in this grade. Like I, We talked before that I don't think classrooms should should exactly just be everyone born in 1999 is in this yeah, one room. It exactly. Make, something I actually really liked about university is that you could take a fourth year course from mm-hmm. the start. Yeah. Or in, when you're in fourth year, you could take a first year course. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's very little judgment. Mm-hmm. Of course, in university, the fourth years and the first years look a lot more similar than, say, a 10-year-old to it's a 14-year-old. But you know what I mean? I do. Like, let's say the, kids, the kid is a math whiz. Yeah. But not really an English whiz. Mm-hmm. Then it's not really that helpful just to... Just to say, just to do it so simply as to say he's skipping a grade. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but just more flexibility. More flexibility, more choice. I had the note that even a couple of electives is enough to make the, the kind of lame core uh, curriculum re required classes a lot more palatable. Mm -hmm. Like I found that in university, we had, let's say, a required math course. But if it was sandwiched between two courses I actually enjoyed, you start to not hate it so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And even in the there's going to be lame parts of school. Yeah, because it's going to be stuff that we think everyone should know, mm. but not everyone wants to know. Exactly. Because not everyone wants to know about human anatomy. They're like, I don't care how my body works. <laughs> We're going to say... Or math. Or math. But it's important to understand other subjects, and you'll see the link someday. Or you'll see the link today. Yeah. I had... Uh, the, there was a small question that we asked last week that I took it upon myself to research, okay. which was, what do we do with jigsaw puzzles once they're done? Mm -hmm. And the answers are not that exciting. Okay. It is either donate it mm. to a friend or a retirement home or something. I found that there are trading groups, mm -hmm. which makes sense, right? Because it's like, oh, I did this puzzle, but this person hasn't done it, and I want to do that one. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I think that's pretty good, very soliciting. Mm -hmm. um, you can put it back in the box and rebuild it. Yeah. Or you can glue it, mm -hmm. frame it, and hang it. Did you know about that? Yeah, that's what I've done with every puzzle I've ever done. I haven't done many puzzles, but I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, there was this era of my life where I was really into puzzles, mm. and I probably did three of them in that era, like really big ones, and you don't want to take them apart, so you glue them. You, what, just a regular glue? There's special glue, jigsaw glue, then you put it on like a board, and then you frame it and put it up. Fascinating. Yeah. What was your favorite? It was the Cinderella one. It was of Cinderella's castle. I remember it was a fancy gift that my grandmother gave me. And so she and I built it together and framed it. And it was in my sister's room for the longest time. So if she's listening, maybe she still has it. I don't know. Very nice. Very educational. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we were discussing yesterday if we had to do any more education, what we would do. And after preparing for this final question, it really made me want to go back and study fashion of some design course because I love fashion and it will someday be a part of the solo scene but designing school uniforms made me so happy and I'm so excited to show you them well if this episode goes viral and you show off your design then maybe there's some like fashion <laughs> headhunter who will say oh I have to get her in my school they're not so, that good so well I'll show mine first how about okay. that because I really don't want to be embarrassed afterwards I know that you put a lot more effort into it probably than me so the question was again to design a solo scene school uniform my days. You're going to make fun of mine. Okay, the anatomy is not um, accurate to any humans. No, mine are like that as well. Okay. They're stylized. But I know you're a better drawer than me. Savory. So <laughs> here is my school <laughs> uniform. Please don't make fun. Okay, so I'm going to try and do this from the back as well as I could. So we have the badge in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the idea of a school badge, I was thinking... It has a private school vibe, right? Mm -hmm. And what I like about private schools is that the kids have this sense of, we all go to this school. So mm -hmm. it's like a posse. Yeah, school spirit. Sure, school spirit. So the school crest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're looking with the side eye. Um, and also on the shorts, um, I'll, I'll just describe it for the people listening to the podcast. It's a polo shirt. Yes. But it's very baggy and kind of shapeless and mm -hmm. ill-fitting, except for the sleeves and the waist, those are kind of tight to the body. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a potato sack on you. <laughs> and with just a normal color. Mm -hmm. And the reason I have the color is because it's professional. So it's like yes. we, this is a place of 
learning. This is yeah. a place of work. And similar with the with the cuffed sleeves and the cuffed uh, waistband is because it's like we're not sloppy. Mm-hmm. You're not wearing sweatpants around here. But they're also kids, so they need the, to be exactly. able to move. They need to be able to move. They're shapeless. They're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And the shorts are because I get really warm. Yeah, the shorts are what are getting to me. Why are the shorts getting to you? You'd have to pay me a lot of money to wear shorts anywhere. I'm not <laughs> a big shorts person. <laughs> well, you're going to be if you go to the solo scene school. So the shorts <laughs> have a similar style to the polo. They're white. They have the red and blue trim. Those are the colors of my mm-hmm. school. And they are similarly tight to the legs on the knees. Mm-hmm. I realize I've never seen shorts like this. Well, and I don't know why. I don't know why either. Maybe but we'll try and make some and see we why. We should. They're just they're regular <laughs> short length, but they're very baggy, shapeless. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no distractions or anything. And they're again, they're, they're close to the skin at the bottom mm-hmm. because it's like, this is a school. This is a, a place of learning. You're not turning up in your sleeping bags. Mm-hmm. And I also have some socks, which I just labeled socks. And the one interesting school, de- socks. school socks design element is that the student's name is written on the shorts because, okay. again, for this question of standardization versus personalization, mm-hmm. we have the crest, we belong to the school, but also I'm valued because my mm. name is on the shorts. Mm. That's cool. Yeah, I also was looking up some pros and cons of school uniforms. Mm-hmm. They're rather intuitive, but I'll just explain them. So the pros, less bullying over clothes, mm-hmm. unity and togetherness, um, less distracting security because intruders are immediately recognizable. Mm-hmm. And my pro is that they just look better, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's just when everyone's wearing the same thing, it looks better. Yeah. The cons, they've never been shown to have a positive impact on, say, productivity. Mm-hmm. So that's not, you know, that's not the reason to have them. Yeah, it's a bit more aesthetic. It's entirely aesthetic. The students might be bored or uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But these ones are going to be very comfortable yes and i'll say we they won't be bored because we'll engage them with what they should be engaged with in school yes um expensive in the solo scene mm-hmm. that's not a question it doesn't let the kids express themselves mm-hmm. so what do you think about that yeah that's always the main argument that i had growing up against them i was always very pro uniforms however i never went to a school that had them mm. and i love fashion it's like my thing it's what i love thinking about doing in school is my favorite thing to get dressed in the morning but I feel like if kids have uniforms, it teaches them to express themselves in other ways. I agree. And one idea I had was perhaps once every two years or something, or once every three years, the students could vote on a design. Like let's say there's a few different designs shown to them and the students could maybe help choose. And I think that would, that's yeah. an expression right there. I had the exact same idea for that. Yeah, I know you probably copied mine. Yeah, maybe Well, let's, I let's did. see yours. Okay, let's stop okay. laughing at mine. Let's, let's see yours. So for those of you watching at home, I have drawn my uniforms and here they are. So much more detail. So I'll try and explain them. So I'll start with the backpack. The backpack is made of mushroom leather. (laughs) And it's one of those square backpacks with a big flap and then a pouch on the front. And every year in the solo scene, kids would, in one of their classes, design a patch for their year and it would go in their school bag. Oh, that is cool. And they'd build it up over their 12 or so years of education and graduate with their cool, unique backpack that they made. Mm-hmm. And, but everyone would have the same one. Because, yeah, growing up, the disparities in wealth were always yeah, super clearly I didn't think about the backpack, but yeah. expressed through backpacks, I found. And so this is going to be super durable, last you the 12 years. It's going to be built to last. And, yeah, in the solo scene, as we said, this, the price of clothes, like, will just provide them all. And so... I had two options. They're mixing and matchable. 
Okay. Depending on your style, depending on the season. So I'll start off with the linen pants that I designed. So they're those type of pants where they're pants, but then there's a panel which you can kind of wrap like a kilt or like a skirt. Okay. And I know you may say, oh, Alicia, that's so girly. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's cool. Look at this. So you have the pants here. Oh, yes. No, yeah, for women. Okay, I get it. It's not just for women. (laughs) It's for everyone. Because, okay, no, I don't like that. It's too whatever. You're going to like it. It's going to be cool. What's it for, though? It's for coolness. Okay. And they're linen. They're airy. So these are more the summer pants. And they're comfortable. You can run in them. You can do whatever in them. And it's for modesty, perhaps, or for... It's just cool. It's not coolness. as cool as shorts. Let me tell it's you. Cooler. That's a lot of fabric. Yeah. It's not as cool as shorts. And then you tie them, and they're made of linen. And then I also had the polo shirt, but instead of the traditional triangle collar, mm-hmm. they're petal shaped. No, I don't like those rounded colors. No, they're not. They're not a uh, what is it called? A Peter Pan collar. I don't know. They are petal shaped okay. because again, kids are like plants. Mm-hmm. And then there's buttons. And then the buttons on the polo shirt match the buttons on the canvas pants, which are the heavier option. Okay. And they have a pleat down the middle. They have really huge front pockets and they're cuffed at the bottom. And the pants, and, and for both of these types, are a brown. I like those pants. Those are kind of like the pant versions of my shorts. Yeah, exactly. They have buttons. Um, they're not brown. They're natural the natural color undyed. cotton undyed and then for the tops they're going to be naturally dyed cotton tops so the pants are both linen either a canvas or just a loose traditional linen and the tops are both cotton and they're dyed with local plants mm. to reflect the local culture maybe and history. the kids could even do it yeah mm. so i was picturing your first day of school you get your set number of clothes and that's how they all are unique but they're all gonna be the same dye same color, same base. But each one's going to look slightly different. Slightly different. Yeah. So I thought it was cool. And my second top is a hoodie. Because I think hoodies are cool. You know that. I'm on a hoodie kick. But you want to have an option for warmth if you're cold. No, and it's, no, no. It depends on what... My school is PCA, kind of. Well, mine has options. Okay. So it's for warmth, hoodie. Just a little bit more casual. Perhaps you don't wear it every day. You usually wear your polo shirt but this is for the cold days or for a layer and it's just a simple kind of puffy sleeved hoodie don't, don't see any socks there no i did design my shoes though okay let's see them they're going to be matte black they're very simple with just one buckle or velcro oh okay that just looks kind of like a like a cog yeah they're just basic leather shoes they're kind of a trainer though they're kind of sneakery with a buckle and yeah they're kind of sporty but also very sleek so that they look professional, as you said, because I think they need to be comfortable. It's crucial or else you're going to be irritated and can't learn. And you don't think mine looks comfortable? Yours looks like a marshmallow, (laughs) but I think there also needs to be some structure besides cuffed sleeves. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's baggy, so you're cool. Yeah. Not like aesthetically cool, temperature-wise. Mine only considered temperature-wise. Okay. Mine considered style. Okay, well, I feel a little bit ashamed because you absolutely embarrassed me on that section. So we're going to end the episode here. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope that you are enjoying the education series. We'll be back next Monday. Bye.